Australia. Quake Cooper for the win. It's on its way. It's on its way. It's gone. Quake Cooper is the man. Hi there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We're diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real family friendly and positive. So get involved. Get involved. Now, I've got to say, mate, the feelings and the vibes that I have today, seven days after such a great win for the Wallabies, are very, very different. Um, I don't know how you were feeling at the end of the match last night, but I was, I was pretty filthy. I was pretty upset and um, I realized I placed way too much value on sport within my life. The fact that I was getting so emotionally <laughs> invested in this. How were you at the end of the game? Oh, it's, it's a difficult one. So I was in the media box last night, got made it up to Suncorp and, and got to attend the game in person, which was fantastic. Very cool opportunity to sit in the media box and, and be present at the game. Uh, and then being able to go to the press conferences afterwards was a really surreal experience as, as just a general kind of punter fan. It's, followed rugby for so long to be given this opportunity was just awesome uh but the Wallabies performance wasn't great and it kind of made me feel a little bit down from that but you can't get too into it being a media representative so you know every now and then when the Wallabies something cool we could kind of politely clap but you couldn't really get up and you know get into it like we can in the stand so (laughs) as much as I would have loved to have done that um I think that helped keep my emotions a little bit checked uh for the the post-match uh wrap up and that sort of thing so not yours or my usual standing up just going come on <laughs> punching the air and cheering and stuff you weren't able to do that uh well some i had of the british I had a little i had my uh my laptop with me so i was tweeting along with the game and i had a little desk sort of set up next to me so um i physically couldn't jump out of my seat too quickly so that probably <laughs> helped in that regard yeah probably um well mate we obviously are going to be chatting through the australia versus england result from last night there are a few other matches on well many many matches on over the weekend but because you've been up in brisbane with the missus and um i've been kind of at home with the kids we haven't had time to cover those matches in enough depth for us to want to talk through them with you guys on the pod so we're just going to be focusing on the Australia game, uh, do the locker room section, and then we also have information, or not information, the recordings of the media, um, the post-match media interviews with both Dave Rennie and So, Lee yeah, Jones. so what we've got, the um, the press conferences are up now, so they're live, they went up yesterday, Sunday. Oh, good, yep. Um, so definitely do go and give them a listen. The Eddie Jones press conference was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. He was great. Some huh? really great takes, some real bits of gold in there. But also after the press conference, we got the opportunity to interview James Slipper and Nick Frost. So we've got those interviews coming up at the end of this podcast. So ask a few questions there. I was a little bit silent in the uh, the press conference uh, interviews because there was just that many people in the press box for this game that there were so many questions going back and forth. We ran out of time. And so the, the media managers were sort of trying to cut things down quickly. So I didn't really get a chance to jump in as much as I would have liked. Maybe next week when we get to Sydney, we'll see how we go. Talk yep. a little bit more there. Yep. Uh, but yeah, definitely um, do go and give those a listen because there's some real great bits of gold in there. Mate, the content just keeps on coming out. How good. Uh, so what you're saying is the post-match press interviews are live now as separate podcasts to this one yep. and that we're going to have some uh, exclusive or at the very least some player interviews that are coming with us, um, coming from us that are tacked onto the end of this podcast, correct? That is correct. And we did also have the results from the Super Brew tipping comp over the weekend. So I will quickly go through those. And well done to Cave Quake, who took out the Yellow Cap this week in first place, currently sitting on 15 and a half points, followed closely by Tommy Guns in second place on 15 points, and Thallium uh, in third place on 14 and a half points. A really uh, difficult round of rugby to pick this weekend with some results definitely not going the way that a lot of punters would have expected. So for those three blokes to get the the right picks and to get them within mm. the margin points is a really, really big, uh, well done to them. That's a really big thing. 
Awesome. Well, why don't we move straight on and we're not going to have our usual uh, kind of gaps and stuff here. Mitch is away and I'm the editing novice. So <laughs> um, we'll just be getting this up as per normal, but we're going to jump straight into the Australia-England match. So Australia went down 17 to 25 and pretty uh, horrendous injury and performance circumstances. So the first 35 minutes was really, really challenging. Um, the Aussies got blasted out to a 19-0 lead against them. England were very, very impressive in an opening 30, 35 minutes um, before the Aussies did manage to mount a comeback um, by the 50th minute. It was, or 55th minute, it was 17 to 22. And it really looked like the game had shifted in our favour before England were able to close the game out effectively with penalty to Owen Farrell to finish at 17, 25. Now, in our group chat, we were pretty, pretty disappointed with the performance of the Wallabies within the first 30, 35 minutes. What do you think was the main difference between last week and this week in terms of that England forward performance? Because they bullied us around the park. Yeah, a lot of the things that the Wallabies spoke about, Dave Rennie particularly, James Slipper in the, in the interviews that we've got coming up, they spoke about uh, what they were working on this week and had spoken about as a group was being... Uh, efficient at the breakdown area and being making sure they were making their tackles. And for that first 20 minutes, that's something that they didn't do. And they allowed England to make easy meters in the contact and to sort of boss them around. Uh, they were pretty open and clear that they worked into the game and that they allowed themselves to get back in. Um, but th that first 20 minutes, they kind of let England dictate the play too much gave away some really, really easy penalties, which allowed Ed, uh, Owen Farrell to just kick points from anywhere. And within like 25 minutes, what was it? 19 nil. So yep. by that point, the game was really there to be caught up by the Wallabies. They did well to get back into, into the contest and to try and claw a victory um, from the death, which they didn't actually end up getting to do. But they definitely spoke around the fact that they sort of were a bit too passive in that first opening 20 minutes and allowed England to make those metres. And I think one of the one of the things that I was struggling with at the end of the game was looking for someone to blame, right? Because you never want to accept the fact that your team is the reason for the loss, you know, that their own poor performance is the reason why you lost in a match which could have clinched the series for us and then left next week to just be a dead rubber and a celebration of rubbing it into the palms. But one of the the reality is that within this game, the Aussies simply weren't good enough. And although there were some some contentious calls that maybe the 50-50s didn't land on our side, either way, those refereeing decisions I don't think were enough to overcome what you've just pointed out that the Wallabies were too passive on D within the first 25 to 30 minutes, um, that they weren't able to kind of, I think Dave Rennie referenced the desire to chop the legs out of the play, the English players, and then try and get over the top of it. They were trying to go too upright in the tackle. I mean, the excellent example of that is um, Ellis Genge's first bump off of Michael Hooper within what, the one and a half or second minute of the game when he just railroads him so hard because Hooper's gone up high into the tackle. And I think that the Wallabies are really going to need to adjust and think about how they're wanting to engage that contact space next week, because trying to do the um, choke tackle, trying to hold them upright was really ineffective with the early stages this week. And that's something that they spoke about that they will be looking at and fixing. One of the areas that they've highlighted around some immediate improvement that they will be working on is their mall. Uh, both attack and defence. That was one area that England really focused on this week and that, that was quite evident quickly. They scored that first try within the first 10 minutes from a really, uh, in some ways, a unique mall set piece. that the, They go up in the second it was very well and done. then throw it forward yep. to the first pod then drive through and score the try. Yep. Not often seen, um, particularly in sort of the Southern Hemisphere. So well done for England to sort of, identify that area and, and try yeah. something a bit different that we didn't see excellent. last week that sort of was... caught Australia out. Um, but as, as we've said, the Wallabies just were falling off injuries. They started to get injuries to key players within that first 20, 25 minutes. It started to make some weird decisions quite difficult in terms of positional plays and yellow cards and those sort of things that just went against them. And it really was in that first probably 45 minutes, even the first five minutes of the second half, 
things weren't going the Wallabies' way. They looked good when they got their hands on the ball right before halftime. They straightened the attack up. Some big runs by Samu Karevi and Angus Bell, um, resulting in Taniela Tupa getting that try just before the break. But they a bit of a, a kind of, I guess, a theme of what the Wallabies were doing last night is they do one thing really, really well, yep. but then they do two things wrong. And that yep. just let England back into the game. Yep. Took the pressure off and then allowed them to kick points. One of the things that you referenced there was the um, injuries that the Wallabies were hit with. Now, I want to make this very clear for everybody listening. The injuries were not the reason why the Wallabies lost. Um, so they are an, an additional challenge that the team had to overcome and they weren't able to. But God, it's bad for the Wallabies at the moment. Um, so you had Jordan Pattaya, who got his head on the wrong side of a tackle and went off with uh, HIA, which he failed and won't be available for next week. Izzy Parisi comes on. Then Izzy Parisi at the start of the second half um, goes up for a pretty regulation like catch of a crossfield kick and comes down and basically destroys his entire knee within that process. And he'll, it's a bad injury and he'll be out for nine to 12 months, according to Harry Dale, um, who's a physio by the way, for people who don't know that. Um, and we then had, who was it? Caden Neville as well went off after buggering up his knee as well with an attack where he got kind of chopped from the side. And so you have three significant, oh, Scotty CO2, four. So four significant injuries hitting the Australian, the Wallabies within the match on top of the three to four significant injuries that they had last week. Um, so that the, we're really going to be having our squad depth tested in this third match. And I mean, we'll talk about this later of what our expected lineup or expected replacements may well be, but that didn't make the game any easier for the Wallabies to chase. No, that's right. And we had Parisi come on uh, quite early on, third or fourth minute of the game with that yep. injury in HIA to uh to retire right. yep. with, without our fullback. So that shifts things around. And, and um, I think Tom Wright ended yep. up going into that fullback position. A few minutes later, maybe 10 minutes later, Parisi goes for that intercept and knocks the ball down and gets an, a yellow card, which just can, makes things even harder. We're now on, we've got injuries, we've then got a yellow card. So we're played down for 10 minutes. And the Wallabies just weren't making it easy for themselves in this game. They really needed to... Uh, slow things down and sort of go back to basics at times because it, it mm. definitely felt like they were trying to overplay their hand a little bit. They were definitely getting pinged for a lot of things at the breakdown. Uh, one of the things that I think has come out of this game that I've been reflecting on is that out of the two teams last night, England and Australia, Australia didn't adapt to the way the referee was adjudicating the game as well as England did. Now, we can say that's because it was a, southern, a Northern Hemisphere referee, so they were refereeing a game that's maybe a little bit different to how the Southern Hemisphere refs uh, referee things. Particularly around the breakdown, we were going quite hard at the ball. We were going for line speed off the mark in defence and getting pinged a lot for that, whereas England were sort of more a adjusted to that type of play. And when we look at the game last week, we had a, a New Zealand referee and the way that, that in the post-match it was definitely highlighted by Eddie Jones that there was a different approach to the breakdown that the Northern Hemisphere players hadn't seen or been adjudicated mm. before. So there was this sort of difference in the way that the game was approached and some, I'll, I'll say, I'll use the word pedantic calls that were, yeah. that were used yeah. by both the referee and the TMO that maybe if we had a Southern Hemisphere style team, we might not have had such a, a, an influence or as a look intently at those things. Yeah. Um, but yeah. The, in saying that, the Wallabies didn't adjust to that. And mm. there's, you have to, at this level, we have to be able to adjust and make those calls on the fly. Yeah, there were a few moments within the scrums where I thought that a couple of uh, pedantic calls were being made where um, English were deliberately kind of pulling the scrum down and trying to blame it on the Aussie props, particularly at the start, Tony Tupo. Um, but overall, the scrum kind of evened out until um, Angus Bell, who'd basically had to play the full game, was just exhausted by the end and un unable to kind of maintain that hit and contact and had to hinge at the hips a couple of times. Uh, but look, let's just talk about the refereeing for a little bit because um, there, there were some moments that are at least worthy of discussion. Uh, hopefully not an extended discussion from either of us 
lost because I think we don't want to give the impression we think the Wallabies lost because of the ref because that's no, that's not definitely. the case. I'll say it again for the yeah. second time. Um, but let's just talk about the yellow cards for the um, attempted intercepts or at least the knock-ons. Did we think that both um, Marcus Smith and Izzy Parisi deserve those yellow cards? And did um, Johnny Hill deserve to not receive a yellow card for his attempted intercept? Under the letter of the law, both of those incidents are yellow cards. And we can sit here and there's so much talk today and last night on social media that it's just ridiculous that that should be deemed a yellow card. But under the way the game's adjudicated at the moment, by the letter of the law, if you go for an intercept and you knock the ball on, you're essentially killing the ball intentionally. You are intentionally going for an intercept. So your intent isn't like a slap down, which is probably deemed or viewed as more of a worse decision from a playing perspective but as a player you have chosen to go for the intercept without in being in a reasonable situation to successfully do that and your results has killed the ball killed the momentum from the opposition team so that's the way it's adjudicated at the moment that's what happened in both of these instances it's a yellow card it has been for the last few years i've got no issue with the way they were adjudicated i would like for that rule to be different i would like for that to be maybe a penalty only but that's not the way it's been adjudicated at the moment. And yep. it hasn't been adjudicated differently in this game than it has in the last few games. So yep. I'm happy with the outcome. Yeah, look, I, I would agree in terms of the ruling was correct as per the laws. Yep. So no issue there from the decision that was made. But when you go back to the Australia-Wales game at the end of year tour last mm. year, um, who is the Welsh centre who knocked the ball down? Um uh, having a mental blank on his name, but that's okay. Um, either way, yeah, it's the... you remember that Welsh, uh, Tompkins, Nick Tompkins. Um, yeah. He knocks the ball down, deliberately trying to slap it down from the pass, but the ball goes backwards out of his hands as he knocks it down, and then he picks it up and runs in and scores a try. And yet that's not a penalty, but a player deliberately going for an intercept and obviously going for an intercept and drops the ball, gets a yellow card. For me, those aren't equitable situations. Um, Mm. And that's where I struggle with the current rulings and expectations as they are. But again, that doesn't change the decision that was made last night. Uh, Another couple of points in terms of the refereeing. Um, There were some moments that I thought the 50-50 calls didn't land in our favour that just made our uphill task that much steeper so a really good example would be perhaps the around about 11th minute penalty that Taniela Tupo got for a no arms clean out in the ruck um, by the letter of the law and this was a late TMO involvement as well by the way maybe three it was about or two or three phases yeah, afterwards yeah, yeah. Um, where Nella gets brought up um, pulled up for having basically cleared out a ruck on a player there without um using his right arm to wrap. Technically, yeah, okay. But I would also be looking at the impact that it made and the fact that basically nothing happened from it. And so I personally would have liked to have seen that just be a warning saying you need to make sure you wrap, you were close to getting a penalty for it. You're just lucky that the impact was negligible. Um, having that as, yeah. as, a, as a referee who's kind of reading the flow of the game and the intensity of the match a little bit more. There is, I will say, while we're on this point, I will just throw a little nugget in here of thought. Um, the referee last night, I don't know off the top of my head how many test matches he's actually refereed. And from the way he adjudicated the game, I feel like he is still relatively young in terms of the um, his international career because what we have seen in the past is the Timo interjects and says, we need to look at this piece of foul play and the referee ultimately makes the decision. Mm-hmm. Last night, he just went with whatever the Timo said. So in that yeah. instance, we didn't even get a replay. The referee didn't even get to look at it on the screen. The, the Timo just said three yellow in, in the words that she used. Three yellow has made a no arms tackle in a clean out. And so he's blown the penalty straight away. Yep. And he hasn't seen it. He hasn't yep. made that decision. It yep. was the same with the 50-22. It was the same actually with the yellow card to Parisi. In real time, he, he was playing on. He pulled the penalty. He pulled the play back to a penalty for England and was willing to give them the penalty. It was only when the TMO came in and said, we need to look at this, yep. that he he then made that call. Yeah, yeah. And um, then there's there's two other points. The, you remember that Falau Fainga, uh, um, uh, a line-out throw that was regarded as not straight, but it hit the kind of 
inside shoulder of, uh, I think it was Matt Phillip that had gone up for it. Um, mm -hmm. And then a little bit later, maybe five minutes later, almost equitable or similar throw is put in by the English and it's not given as not straight. And the point with that, which is why I found it difficult was because almost every single time we had got into their 22, we'd come away with a converted try. And so this was yet another opportunity with us hot on the attack where just a pedantic call that in almost every other game, and you can go to um, Draft Rugby's Harrison Dale, who's got this up on his Twitter feed. You can go and see a still frame of where the ball was caught by, um, by Matt Phillip. And it just impacted our momentum at that point of the game and meant that what should have been an attacking opportunity that could have resulted in a try immediately shifts to being a opportunity for the English to clear their lines and put the pressure back on the Aussies. Um, and then a final one, the final one that I'll say is that 50-22 call is pedantry to the maximum. I've slowed, so for those of you who don't, who aren't aware, Nick White gets an incredible 50-22 or thought he got a 50-22 in about the 50-50th minute or something like that within the game. Mm -hmm. And it gets called back because supposedly the tackle happened over the line and then over the halfway and then they played the ball back into the Wallabies half and then Nick White kicks it there. You watch it on replay. It's incredibly hard to see. Um, it's centimetres. It's, it's definitely centimetres. Yeah, definitely centimetres. And as an Aussie fan, I can... Definitely have an argument for it being a 50-22. As a British English fan, I could see them arguing it too. And I question why the TMO needs to make a decisive intervention there when the on-field referee believed that it was within the Wallabies half. And so why yep. do we need that intervention when the um, well, when on-field ref has said that? Well, the... It this this is what we're currently seeing at the moment. They were the, the rules that were changed and the processes around the TMO usage was changed. Uh, last week was the first time from July 2022 that a TMO could review things live and make those decisions and let the, the referee know what had happened. And that's in its, of itself is a way of speeding up the game. Yep. So what was happening previously was that the, the TMO would only look at things once play had stopped and gone back and if it was clear and obvious. So... In some ways, this is working against us at the moment, um, and it's it does feel pedantic. It is yep. frustrating. The other thing that I will say in support of your argument, argument, Ando, and we will move off this topic because we yeah, don't we just will. whinge about the referee the whole time, <laughs> um, is they were looking at things that the Wallabies were doing through a microscope, and sometimes some of the things England were doing wasn't looked at as intently. If you go and look at the law book, in the instance where James O'Connor kicks for touch, and I think from memory, it's like the 65th minute we get a penalty. James O'Connor overcooks it. The yep. English player is standing in touch. So he's standing on the other side of the, the dead yep. ball line. Yep. Yep. He jumps up in the air, bats the ball back in, and then lands back out. Under the rule book, you have to either jump from infield, or you have to, yeah, to do yeah, that, yeah. you either have to jump from infield, bat the ball back in the air, and land back in field or jump from out the field of play, bat the ball and land in like Tom Wright did at the end of the first half. Mm. He jumps up from a dead ball space, lands back out of the field. So it should have been taken out by England and a five-meter scrum to mm. Australia. Mm. Why is that, That's the frustration there is that we're not looking at those things as intently. Yeah, look, um, let's move on. I agree on all those points, but let's actually get back to the match as it stood. Um, a few notable players I think we should speak to. Billy Vulnapola had one of his best games I can remember him having. He had 15 runs for 66 metres, two defenders beaten, two offloads, got a try as well in the opening exchange. He was destructive and a menace all throughout the game. So he had one of his like I said, best games that I can recall. Um, and I mean, as much as Owen Farrell gets absolutely pumped for his um, tumultuous relationship with his father, according to Squid Rugby, um, he he was brilliant. And I actually think that Marcus Smith might need a rest or might need to... Um, yeah, I just think that with Owen Farrell directing the team around, England were a lot more direct and it was what they required to break down the Aussie defence. And being actually at the game and being able to watch what Owen Farrell does off the ball is he was constantly moving the whole time and he was telling people what to do. 
getting people into position, always constantly moving, making sure that there were options for Smith to use in the back line, giving forwards directions as to where to, to set up their pods and things. So you don't often, you don't actually get to see that level of detail as much on screen, but being at the game, it was very evident that Owen Farrell was that leader in that back line. And towards the end of the second half, that was something that the Wallabies didn't quite have. Mm. And um, you would have thought James O'Connor might have been that influence yep. when he came on, but it didn't quite have the same effect. Uh, Interesting, Eddie Jones mentioned in the post-match press conference that Owen Farrell is the, he said, is the, what, what, I'm just trying to think what the exact words he used. The but most the, professional, the most driven player. No, um, the most competitive player he's yeah, ever. Yeah, competitive, that's it. More so than George Gregan. Than George Gregan. Yeah. And he said he's always out there ready to, ready, looking for the contest, looking forward to the battle every single week, always wanting to strive to be that little bit extra. Yeah, and he, he was excellent. From the Aussie perspective, the World Beast perspective, I thought um, Soma Karevi was excellent as usual. Probably didn't have the clean breaks that you'd be hoping for him, but he had five defenders beaten, nine runs, 50 metres. Uh, a couple of good kicking moments as well, or there were a couple were a little bit poor too. Um, I thought that Nick White was excellent as well. Um, he, despite the fact that his forward pack was getting fairly bossed, he was able to ensure some pretty quick service. Uh, I'm just going to put this out there. Everybody knows I'm a massive Waratahs fan, so this shouldn't be any surprise. But I actually thought that Jake Gordon, when he was on for the kind of last 15 minutes, I thought that his flat passing actually caused a fair few worries for the British English defence in that last kind of 15 minutes. I thought he was quite good when he came on. He didn't offer the running threat that I would sometimes hope for or that Tate is renowned for, but his passing was excellent. So I thought I thought he had a good cameo. It was, but the uh, the other side of that coin was that he threw a few forward passes when he yeah, was that hitting one. players yeah, like that Marika. Yeah. But at that point, we're kind of game-defining because we still had time at that point and yeah. sort of yep. let that pressure off. So that yep. that was the only little thing there. Um, I thought Tupo was fairly poor throughout the game. Yeah, he got that try at the end of the first half, but I didn't think he had one of his better games. He shouldn't be getting those scrum penalties against him because it's an area that he's been working on so heavily for the last couple of years. Uh, and I just think he was a little bit underdone um, in a few areas. He seemed to... He, he gave away, what, three or four penalties within that first half, which you can't be doing when you've got a kick like Owen Farrell on the opposite team. Yeah, and I think, again, that comes back to the fact that he hasn't played rugby at this level or super rugby for, what is it, four months now? Yep. So he has been out on the sideline for a stint. He and Nick White, both in this game, got quite riled up by the opposition. Mm. Last week, Darcy Swain was the target. This week, it definitely felt like Taniel Tupo and Nick White were the target. Early yep. on, we saw that, that that cheeky shoulder to the head on from Genge, uh, and then there was a few other times where in, in a breakdown late, the ball's moved on. Nick White's getting picked up and thrown to the ground a few times. Nick White did well to not escalate things and to keep his head. I think Taniela Tupo got a little bit overawed by being back, yeah. being yep. worked up by the media in the, the build-up to this game, playing uh, his first test for the Wallabies in 2022 back at home at Brisbane. So he'll get better as the, as the game, as the year wears on. And I think he just needs to sort of calm down a little bit and focus on just doing his basics. Yeah. Oh, look, pretending I'm a player giving a post-match interview, uh, full credit to the English team. They were just better. Full credit to the boys. Full credit to the boys. Um, full credit to the boys. But basically, uh, all this comes down to the fact that England were better. They controlled the match better. The tactical kicking game was on point. The um, dominance that their forwards had, particularly within the first half, but also key moments in the second, was game-changing or game-defining, we should say. Uh, and it's going to be really, really challenging to see how the Wallabies will respond this week. And why don't we shift now into a bit of a discussion around what a potential uh, match day 23 could be for the Wallabies, because there are some significant injuries that are coming into play for the Wallabies and um, the requirement or hope that we're going to have some players back. So why don't we start off with the front row here? So who do you think is going to be the starting front row for Wallabies next week? I would not be surprised to see the front row that started this week start again next week. So Angus Bell, Dave Parecki and Taniel Tupo. 
yeah, I don't think Bell or um, Parecki will be any different. It might, we might, oh, maybe Bell actually, because he did the full, almost the full 80. He might need, he might be cooked and might need to have a bit of a break. Um, who knows? He's got a week, mate. It's not playing. He's not playing on Wednesday. I think he'll uh, be fine. We'll see. And, we'll see. and the, the expectation is as well that he will only play 45, 50 minutes. And we saw that in this, this week that they made those substitutions at that point. Yep. I think that you start Bell uh, and then you have Slipper on the bench because Slipper can play both sides. Yeah, true. And, yep. Yep. Needs and if you start Slipper and he goes down injured and we're, there, we're starting to lose that um, flexibility then on the bench. Yeah, cool. All right, moving then into the second row. I mean, what, are you going Frost Phillips? Are you going Holloway Phillip? Uh, from reports, it doesn't sound like Holloway's going to be fit yet. Uh, and I don't no. know if he will okay. be ready. And I don't think the Wallabies want to rush him back just yep. in case he does aggravate it again and he's out for a longer spell. So I would expect it to probably be Philip and Frost starting. Mm-hmm. Interesting, talking to Frost after the game, he was very much talking like he didn't even think he'd be making the 23 next week. Yep. Um, so we were sort of, as the media were asking him questions like, you know, with the injury toll, do you think that you'll be expected to start next week and he was just brushing off like I'll, I'll be i'll be happy to just make the 23 and we're all sitting there going well i think you'll be even starting mate um, <laughs> with the amount of locks we've lost yep okay right. so yeah. let's let's assume we're gonna have a frost philip um second row back line leo to hooper valentini six seven eight yeah i think it's been working quite well so far for the last two tests so let's keep it going and there's no injuries there Okay, cool. And then let's go to the back line now. So probably White and Lillisiu as well for mm-hmm. 9 and 10. Then you'd go, what, Corombete, Karevi and Paisami? Or are you going to bring Ikitao in? Uh, he seems to be over his injury complaint, supposedly. So do you think we would be bringing Ikitao into 13? I think we might. I, I think the Wallabies attack looked better when we had Ikitao in the starting jersey. He just seemed to organize the defense a little bit better than we saw Paisami doing this week. And mm-hmm. his, his hits and his physicality in defense was something that, particularly in that first 20 minutes, we missed. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if Rennie does bring him back. Yep. Um, but again, it, he's racing the clock in terms of concussion protocols. So yeah, true. fingers crossed he is fit and able to be picked. Was he a concussion? Ikitao? Yeah. Was he a concussion? I thought he was like a minor yeah, I- ankle or calf injury. But I thought it was a HIA he went off last week, wasn't it? I can't could be wrong. I can't recall. I've got so many tears from last night still on my face that I can't recall those details. Longer. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, and then I mean the 1415. Are you going right and Campbell? Are you going right and Hodge? Are you going Vunavalu and Wright? Uh, who are you picking as your 14 and 15? Jeez, it's a it's a difficult one to go with at the moment. Um, because both like Wright wasn't brilliant in the 15 and he hasn't played a lot there this year. Yep. I think he plays better as a, as a winger, but at the same time, gee, we might even see James O'Connor named there to start the test and see how he goes at 15, just for that maturity level. This is the decider in Sydney. Mm. I would be very surprised if Rennie brings Munuvalu on to start considering some of the things he said this week. Yep. around Bunuvalu needing to prove at training that he's ready to get his first test cap. Yeah, so agreed. I think in Rennie's mind, he's maybe not ready to start just yet. Uh, but at the same time, we have that many injuries. Mm. We've got Parisi out now. We've got um, all these players out with injury. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens. I don't really know what we do there. I think maybe we start right on the on the wing and we bring James O'Connor in at 15. Or yeah, okay. Yeah, or in, even if they need to bring in a player midweek, not too sure. Yep. Well, let's go on to the bench now. Um, 16, probably going Fanga again. 17 would be Slipper. 18 would be Alan Alatoa, um, assuming he's recovered. So that'll be Alan. Then for the second row replacement, uh, there's been some chat regarding potentially Wakan Salakai-Loto coming back in because he's that great kind of lock slash six reserve or backup but he hasn't been training with the team at all but been out of the squad for a long time and is heading to Northampton I just pooey that and say absolutely not and gonna see my boy Ned Hannigan back into the squad do you think that's the direction that the coaching team are gonna go I think it really comes down to whether uh 
uh, Jed Holloway is fit, as we yep. said earlier. If Holloway yep. is fit, I think he starts. Yep. And then we have Frost on the bench. Mm-hmm. If not, then we probably only have Hannigan as that backup option <laughs> to bring in. I would be very surprised if they fly a player from Fiji back for this yeah, or to fill in this um, this spot at the moment, yep. like Smith or Uru even. I'd be very surprised if they call one of those players up. Yeah, or even bring in like Angus Blythe, who's currently kind of sitting at home in Queensland. Um, but, but then the again, is... like he, he hasn't he hasn't trained, he hasn't yep. been in the environment, yep. he doesn't know any of the calls. You've got Ned Hannigan sitting there. As much as people probably love to poop on Ned Hannigan as a player, he's been in the squad since uh, what June end of end of Super Rugby season. He's been with the Wallabies. He has been there. He knows the calls. He's trained with the team. It for me, it makes so much more sense. Look, uh, Hannigan is my alter ego. He's my hall pass. He's the guy that I just want to hang out with, you know. So with that, he's definitely going to be in a team, and I can't wait to celebrate that in person uh, next week. But Pete Samu probably for that twenty. Just remember, Ando, we will be in the media box. So when if he does get on the field, <laughs> you need to keep it calm. Man, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Then um, 21, 22, and 23, that would probably be Jake Gordon. Again, maybe a Tate coming in to provide a bit more running threat within a latter part of the game, but it wouldn't surprise me if they stick with Gordon. Um, And then the backline cover, I mean, you suggested potentially James O'Connor at 15. You almost definitely have Hodge there as kind of centre or backline, back three cover. Um, so who would it be? Maybe Hodge and Vunavalu, Hodge and the loser of Ikatao or um, Paisami? Yeah, either of those. Or potentially they fly Dalguni back. You know what I'd love? going to look for that winger. I'd love a 6-2 split. I mean, I know injuries have crueled us within the backs recently, but there's a part of me that recognises we need to be able to match the physicality. And so a 6-2 split with Hodge on the bench could well be the thing. I mean, we might. It might be the only option that we have. We might not <laughs> with no have backs that left. many backs available. <laughs> We've only got two that are will, that are able and and test fit. So. You were about to say willing. I think that might be a thing for some of the backs as well. well. I no, mean, this jersey's cursed. What's going on? That's the other question. That if you are, and I think we've got one that's come into the locker room um, that we'll get to in a little bit. But yep. if you are a player playing in Fiji, and they had a great win over Fiji, the Australia A team, mm, they did. Yeah. Um, if you're playing over there in the 15 jersey, Jock Campbell, for example, and, so, and Dave Rennie calls you up and says, will you fly to Sydney to, to play for the Wallabies? You'd be asking yourself whether it's worth it, wouldn't you? Can I, <laughs> can I risk that injury? <laughs> and that's it. Like, I'm not sure how... Uh, the answer to that question is, yes, they would take any opportunity to re- oh, represent you, the Wallabies. I don't think they even ask him. They just tell him, you're flying to you're Sydney. You're flying. But ticket. then surely there'd be that thought from any player that is a tiny bit superstitious going, man, there's some bad juju going around at the moment. Like, <laughs> I don't know what's happening with that back three position. Um, well, mate, why don't we actually jump on into the locker room questions then? Is there anything in finally you wanted to say before we move into the locker room? Let's just go for predictions for next week. Let's just say what we think is going to happen in Sydney. Um, obviously, we don't know what team's going to be named, but do you think the Wallabies have enough uh, oomph to be able to turn the series around and get that series-breaking win? I um, think so, because I think that they were almost shell-shocked or stunned for the first 30 minutes, and I can't see them being like that again this third game. Um, and that was really the the op- the time in which England dominated and got that 19-0 lead that the Wallabies just weren't able to claw back. And so if they're able to avoid or at least limit that early onslaught that you just know is coming from the English, then they're in with a good chance. Well, they're in with a a good chance in my mind of winning that game. So home ground advantage, you and I will be there at the game. Um, That makes a world of difference. World of difference, mate. Yep. Uh, So I'm going to be calling Wallabies by eight. And I think next week we've got Paul Williams, a New Zealand referee, adjudicating the game. So again, we're back to a Southern Hemisphere referee. Maybe we might see a little bit of a different approach at the breakdown and and at the uh, set piece. So again, that could work in the Wallabies' favour. Um, maybe Eddie Jones doesn't get that avenue to the referee to say, look at Tupo binding in sideways. So the first panel, first scrum of the game just goes full arm penalty against him. Uh, we'll see what happens, but I, I, I think the Wallabies will be up for it. And I can 
confident. No, I won't say confident, <laughs> but I'm really hoping that they can clinch that that series at, at the SCG. If if we do lose, um, then we need to wait a while in a stadium until it clears out and then we leave because, man, I won't be able to handle smug English fans rubbing it into our faces. <laughs> oh, don't worry. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't get out of Suncorp until well after midnight last night. So okay. that much media that's going on, we will, there won't be many fans left. Ah, good. Okay. So let's start off with our Facebook posts. So thank you, everybody, for getting involved there. Connor, Win- Connor Whitaker has just snuck this one in in time, posting one minute ago. So if you were in an IRB office in Dublin and could change the rules what would you do about the blight of cards in the game as the last four years as the last four years because it's been wow okay a few years since the head high crackdown and tackle techniques aren't changing and it's making the game almost unwatchable in my opinion so how would we be changing the card system if we could what's your quick elevator pitch on how to fix it mate let's go how would i be changing the cards particularly around the knockdown or head high knockdown that kind of thing what was that sorry head high knockdown head high contact yep yeah, um, I think I think what we've been doing at Super Rugby Pacific this year has been a good thing of the twenty-minute red card. Uh, I, I think that takes a lot of pressure off the referee to sort of see or affect the outcome of a game, and we saw that in that New Zealand game this week. That once New Zealand got that red card and a few yellows afterwards, they weren't able to get that dominance back into the game. So yep. that's what I would like to be seeing, and. Just in terms of the the law in the intercept, if a player is going for a clear and obvious uh, attempt to kill the ball, so a downward slap, I'm fine with the yellow card in that instance. If they're going for an upward push with both hands extended, I think that we look at we need to remove the potential for a yellow card in that situation and just go with the penalty. I mean, it comes down to the approach of the hand. Yeah, I think the approach to the hand should be the big thing and um, be mitigated even more with um, two hands being involved within that process. Uh, Elijah Glass asked, thoughts on the centre pairing of Karevi and Paisami? Uh, I thought they were pretty good, but they're also a bit similar in terms of their approach is to both be looking to truck the ball up with pace and directness to the opposition line. And it's not much subtlety in the way in which they're attacking. Um, yep. I'm also not the biggest fan of having both Marika and um, Hunter within the same backline from a defensive point of view, because they have the tendency to not hit and stick. Um, they go in for a big hit and sometimes bounce off it. Whereas you don't see that anywhere near as often with the Kitao at 13. Um, so that's just my quick thoughts. Uh, mm-hmm. M- Michael Gardner, what now? The injury rate has been so high for the Wallabies. How do we move into the next game? Hodge has to be almost a definite starter. Who do we bring in? Uh, I think we've already spoken about that, but any quick point you want to say about Reese Hodge's inclusion? Do you think he'll make the starting 15 or he'll be on the bench as a 23? I just think the fact that he got put in Australia A program this year shows Dave Rennie's preference for having James O'Connor in the, in the Wallabies as opposed to Reese Hodge. Yep. So I would be surprised to see Reese Hodge parachuted back into start. And I think we'd be seeing James O'Connor at that um that 15 jersey with Hodge on the bench potentially as that fullback as that um versatile utility back. Yep. Good call. All right, Campbell Duff. While the Wallabies look good in Perth at times, there's very little cohesion across the park and it showed in the second test. Along with the now high injury toll and lack of depth, it'll take a monumental effort to win, let alone not lose for 25 points. Where do we go to from here? Do we get in another Euro player to mend the holes, keep developing and blooding players from the Australia A setup? Without Karevi and Corinbete, there isn't much left at the back line. Can we rely on new players to deal with this English squad or we just keep building towards the World Cup? Good pod, fellas. Keep it up. Thanks, Campbell. Um, so what I might just say is I'll speak to um, two of those points. I actually mm-hmm. think in terms of um, the cohesion, we're doing fairly well. Uh, so the forward pack has been relatively unchanged aside from injury across the first couple of games. And it looks like being relatively similar for the third game. The outside backs is just where we're getting absolutely decimated at the moment. So you've got um, Jake, you've got Nick White, Noah Lelisiu, Marika Corimbete and Summer Karevi, who have all remained across the two games and will probably be within a third as well. But then you have um, the 14 and 15 positions where we've just really, really been challenged. And I'm not sure if our incoming options are going to solve that cohesion issue. Um, 
Also, in addition to that, I don't think we should be bringing in any overseas-based players. Um, maybe an argument could be made for Arnold, but I'm pretty sure that we'll have someone like Rory Arnold brought in for the rugby championship. Uh, I think we just make do with what we've got here for the um, current, well, this this three-match series, and then look to bring in any extra overseas players for the following um, rugby championship. But now... In terms of that, that was my pitch, Mitch. In terms of what I think about bringing in overseas players, do you agree that we probably shouldn't bring anybody in for this final game and then um, reassess things come to rugby championship? I just don't think with the with a seven day turnaround that there's going to be enough time to get a player into the squad, gel, learn the calls, and and have a real impact that's going to be of sufficient quality. Um, I think we just have to go with the players that are currently being selected in the Wallabies thirty two man squad and go from there. Yep. All right. Moving on to Twitter, Jason Sherman. Uh, Jock Campbell has to start for the Wallabies next week. Neither James O'Connor or Wright are fullbacks. Please, no. That's that's an interesting pick. I'd love to see Jock Campbell there. I just don't think we will. Um, I I think that they'll either go with Hodge, who's already made the trip over and has joined the Wallabies team, or we'll see James O'Connor move there. Uh, are my two kind of predictions. Um, and then Karevi and Pasami have the potential to be the best centers pair in world rugby and world rugby needs to show some backbone to sort out the many issues with its law and officiating. I think we'll just take those as statements and, and keep going. Thanks, Jason, for your contribution, mate. Uh, John Shadlow has Richie McCaw's cloak of invisibility moved to England? Hey, just quietly. Um, did you see that Peter Omani comment to Sam Kane? I don't, I would love to know what was said. Okay. I know that he took his mouth cut out and really went I've, for I've it. I've got it. But I've I got it. Know. I've got it here. So um, you can hear it through the referee's mic. And Peter Omani's having a massive go at um, Sam Kane, and he says to him, "Who do you think you are? You're a swear word rubbish, Richie McCall, pal." And it's it's just <laughs> oh, it's top quality banter. Top Isn't quality it? banter. Um, so although I don't like Omani, um, I think. Uh, at times, he can be a bit of a grub in the way that he plays. He's he's a bloody good player at the same time. So that level of chat against Sam Kane is probably saying what a lot of people around the world have been thinking. Um, okay, so so many times I've seen Billy Vunapola on our side of the rock right in front of the ref slowing the ball down. And do refs get coaching on positioning themselves at the breakdown? Saw the ref get in the way so many times. Uh, yes, they do. They do get adjudicated on that. Uh, oh, uh, coached on that uh, as my own... Um, experience being a referee, just refereeing like local under 13s and under 12s and stuff that you, you get told where to stand. Um, sometimes though, it re- the realities of the game, you can't always expect to know where the play is going to go. He can look like the play is going to pick the ball up and go right, but he comes left and you have to get out of the way. Um, I, I would say that he's human. He makes these mistakes. It, it can be pred- unpredictable at times out on the rugby field. Moving on to Stuart O, a yellow card for an intercepted attempted intercept, but only a penalty for applying pressure to an opponent's throat as he's lying on the ground. Again, John White. And then there's no red for Johnny Hill for elbowing Swain in the face last week. Why aren't people angry about this? Look, I think with Johnny Hill and Swain in that mall, I'm assuming you're talking about where they're having kind of handsies in a mall as um, Swain's trying to get through. I have no issue with there's him not getting people- put up. There's plenty. There's plenty, There's plenty right, of people angry with it. <laughs> yeah, but, but I'm also, in that moment, I'm also like, if for, for that specific involvement um, with potential elbows flying, whatever, they were both doing it, let's move on. Uh, but why he didn't get yellow carded as a whole or even cited for his push to the face of Darcy Swain, yeah, I, I can agree with some of the um, angst that's going on there. Uh, but Genge on white, I don't know penalty in my mind is kind of enough there you see that from forwards on each other all the time maybe it's because it was a prop on a scrum half that it has been talked about a bit differently what do you reckon i mean it's a it's a difficult area isn't it where we're trying to stamp out contact with the head as much as possible the intentional viewed intentional um effect of trying to get another player injured or to give them some form of in concussion in this instance, it's very clear that Genge is trying to hurt White in some way. You don't accidentally elbow a player in the face on the ground. Uh, so if we're going to give a yellow card for someone uh, pulling someone else's hair, then it needs to be a yellow card for, for yep. uh, pushing someone's head into the ground with your elbow slash throat. 
Yep. So I, I think it, it's probably, it's intentional. So uh, yeah. I would have liked to have seen a yellow card for that. Um, at least a warning even, or a penalty. The fact that nothing got given. Wasn't there a penalty? Um, I thought there was a penalty. Oh, maybe there was a penalty, but yeah, there was no warning. There was. Yeah. There yeah. was no warning to him for it. But right. yeah, I would have liked to have seen it handled a little bit uh, more severely. Andrew Roth, who do you think the Wallabies missed most this week? For my money, it was Ikatao. Don't think we would have leaked so many points in the first 20 if he'd been there organising our defence. I'll let you answer the question of who do you think the Wallabies missed most. Um, I personally, I, I kind of disagree that Ikatao's presence would have stopped us from leaking points because uh, it wasn't the backs that were giving away those penalty opportunities. It was forwards um, that were either infringing like Tony Tupo, a couple of scrum penalties as well, uh, and also just not being able to contain the English forwards. And, and the try that was scored was off that mall. So yep, exactly. that would have had no effect in that regard. It was it was yep. individuals giving away penalties with Owen Farrell kicking them. Exactly. Um, I think that we missed... We mostly missed that. I would love to have Swain there this week. Mm. I think that he would have had a real uh, presence at the uh, the malls, particularly, that would have helped Australia. I would have yep. loved to have seen him included. But in saying that, I don't think that not having him turn the tide yep. in England's favour. Yep. Um, another quick thing I'll say, I thought that uh, Matt Phillip was poor within that first kind of 30, 40. A couple of the half breaks and wine breaks that the English got were because Swain, um, not Swain, that Matt Phillip was trying, he was obviously energised, keen for the start, trying to push forward. Um, and he, he'd come off the line and, and run kind of... Uh, horizontally he'd, no he'd, he'd run straight but then wouldn't be able to adjust to a little shimmy effectively and there were a bunch of times yep. he either got stepped or gave a really weak shoulder to the english runners and so he was almost too enthusiastic and energetic uh within that opening kind of stanza so that's one area for him to be improved and it was the same with Taniela tupo as well he was yeah. very energetic and he was out there trying to whack blokes and got pinged a few times for that which was just yeah. unnecessary yeah. when we were giving away so many easy penalties that Farrell was just kicking over. Exactly. Uh, kick the ref and the ghoulies. One word, accuracy. I think the boys pulled together well in the face of mega injury toll. Plenty of heart, just lacked accuracy. Had several opportunities in the second half. They're bottled with simple errors, e.g. crooked throws, making touch. Yeah, I, I completely agree. By the way, I just want to say you've still got the best um, Twitter name, kick the ref and the ghoulies. So uh, hopefully yeah. we can have someone kind of match that and beat that. Um, we do have one final essay that has come in from uh, Christy and Willie K. So I'm not going to read out this whole thing. I'll take a couple of uh, extracts from it, if you don't mind, Mitch, and I'll throw them over to you. Yep. So a few thoughts, turnovers and poor discipline really cost them, but you have to credit England. They were outstanding in that first half. Tick, completely agree. It's harsh to single out individual players. However, apart from the blitzing run, Wright regularly makes the wrong decision under pressure and someone of Jock's experience missing that touch finder is unacceptable. Fell our line out, for God's sake, what was that? Yep, I agree completely. But again, as I said earlier, it was a theme of this game that we do one thing brilliantly. So Tom Wright... Uh, getting that uh, charged, charged the kick through. I think Owen Farrell ends up catching it. He tackles him to the ground and then drags him over the touchline for the sort of game-defining opportunity to get back in front yep. uh, with the Wallabies getting a line out on the five-metre. Falafuanga throws a dodgy throw and it's just complete pressure off. Yep, yep. Um, he, he makes a few other points in terms of yellow cards um, that they should be kind of a penalty rather, a penalty and a warning especially when it's like an attacking opportunity, like what Parisi was trying to do with his attempted intercept. Um, aside from all this, I was very entertained and my wife helpfully told me afterwards that it is indeed just a game, impeccable timing as always. That is, I'm not sure about you with your missus, but it is one of the worst things in the world when your wife just says, it's just a game. Why do you care so much? And I'm like, damn it, woman, you don't understand. <laughs> How do you not understand the amount of time we put into caring about this? <laughs> it's more than just a game um and it, it's somewhat helpful but also incredibly infuriating how to, is that a similar thing for you guys <laughs> oh i i've got to say my wife's pretty good actually she often yeah. will watch parts of the game with me and knows that i get very into it and this weekend the fact that we've been able to come to brisbane she came with her came with me and the disruptions and travel we've had but we finally made it to the game and we got there for kickoff she was sort of she sent me a message after the game when she saw the score and was like, oh, I'm so sorry that Australia weren't able to get it done for you. But um, 
Yeah. And she knew that I was sitting there not going off my head, which is the thing that she hates the most. So we go to games and I'm just screaming the house down. (laughs) Oh, mate. Well, either way, I'm happy that we have wives that are so supportive of your well, our rugby obsessions anyway. Um, and mate, can you just quickly summarize your trip to Brisbane for anybody that isn't aware? Oh, what, what a crazy, crazy few days. So uh, meant to fly up on five o'clock on Friday afternoon. Flight gets cancelled. No more flights available for between Sydney and Brisbane until Tuesday. So get offered a credit, which is useless and can't get us to the game. Um, for Saturday afternoon. So we hire a car, get out to the Sydney domestic airport, pick the car up right on 5pm when they're about to close, drive overnight, 10 hours to get to Brisbane, arrive um, early on on Saturday, get to our accommodation, which booked Mr. Knight, get a few hours sleep and then get out to the game on Saturday Arvo and um, yeah, really get into it. So great to be there and, and, Big, big weekend, but, yep. you know, these are the things we do for rugby. That's nearly as good as um, Nelson Dale from uh, Draft Rugby who made the decision late on Friday that he wanted to go up to the game because his wife had box tickets for it and um, couldn't get a flight because they'd all been cancelled like you'd experienced. So caught a bus, a coach down on the morning of Saturday down to Canberra, realised he wasn't going to get to the airport in time, so got off early and because the bus was going to wait for a while at one of the stops and got an Uber the rest of the way to the airport, then got on a plane and got up from there um, with a bit of assistance from some of his uh, Twitter followers as well on guides and recommendations of where to go and what to do and that kind of thing. So, uh, look, love the passion for the game. Well done for getting there. Well done to Nels as well. And thank you, everybody, for your support of both the Wallabies and the pod. Like we've mentioned, both Mitch and I will be in the Wallabies, um, well, not the Wallabies box, <laughs> the media box next weekend. Oh, well, uh, Nelson was actually pretty oh, much Oh, Nelson, the yeah, box. yeah, he the was. He was right he next to you, hey. Right next to the coach. So every time that, if you go back and actually watch the this the game on replay, every time they, they show Dave Rennie or the Wallabies coaching box, you might see a bald uh, a guy handsome, behind very handsome bald man with a very lovely beard sitting Ooh, yeah. um, just next to Dave Rennie on the other side of the glass. That's Nelson. So, um, yeah, I think four or five, six times he was shown on the broadcast <laughs> looking worse and worse, more angry every single time. He <laughs> was definitely getting very animated in some of his conversations, but hey, wouldn't we all if we were in a kind of corporate box at uh Walby's match? So mate, Let's everybody get around the Wallabies for next week. There's been so much rugby on. See what you can catch up on over the following days if you haven't been able to watch. Thank we'll you, just everybody. Quickly say that um, in terms of results around the weekend, bit yeah. of a yep. bummer for the northern hem- for the southern hemisphere. We'll say even the uh, England England beating the Wallabies, Ireland beating the All Blacks for the first time ever in New Zealand. One hundred and seventeen year history. Just crazy. South Africa going down to Wales with a penalty right on full time, one point in it, opposite of last week. And yep. Scotland absolutely smashing Argentina earlier this morning. So yep. uh, we were talking last week about there being a bit of a Southern Hemisphere dominance across the weekend. This was very truly the opposite this weekend and some interesting uh, changes to the world rugby rankings as well. So Australia's down to six. Yep. South Africa's down to third, I think, from memory. Um, and New Zealand are fourth, which is from my living memory of being a rugby fan. I can't remember the first time New Zealand fell out of the top three. So some massive, massive moves and shakers this weekend and some real repercussions for the rugby world. Very interested to see what happens next weekend, considering all of these tests, all of these series between the various Southern and Northern hemispheres are going to deciders. It's bloody exciting. Great round of rugby coming up. Everybody get involved. Thank you so much. And enjoy the upcoming interviews with James Slipper and Nick Frost. We'll catch All right, you next let's week. go. See you, everybody. Bye. Bye. Huge test to make your debut in. Uh, can you talk us through what it felt, uh, nerves or whatever, and how big the intensity was from England? Um, to be honest, not too many nerves. I just tried to hit it like a normal rugby game, um, to be honest. So I enjoyed it out there. It was good fun. Um, slightly quicker pace than a bit of Super Rugby, but again, um, it was pretty similar at times, obviously, with a lot of our boys playing with and against. Um, but I didn't really know what to expect from England, and they obviously fronted up pretty physical, but it was an enjoyable experience. Goes to a decider next week, and there's a lot of injuries in the locks. Are you ready for that pressure and that challenge of 
I'm not sure yet, to be honest. Uh, it's just up to the medicos and see what they see what they say. But again, like I just enjoy playing and grateful that I got experience tonight and to run around. And at the end of the day, again, it's another game of footy. That's why you, that's why you want to play. I just love playing rugby. James, how did you think the set piece went? Um, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think it went well. Um, thought we were pretty loose. I thought the scrum was okay, but you know we just gave away too many penalties and and probably took the pressure off England a bit. Um, and then you know the malls too really hurt us. So I know one thing: uh, there'll be plenty of malls at training next week, um, both defensively and and attack. So I think uh, at like um, our malls are, and lineouts are going well. It was just kind of big moments that let us down. You know, a crooked throw here and you know obviously not kicking it out. On another one, just really hurt us. So, um, plenty, plenty of things for us to improve on and train on. With the injury toll, um, do you look around and go, "Gee, like we're really thin here," or, or where is this group like? Do you like being put in a corner? I might as well just go second row next week. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, it's obviously a test, uh, but I've been pretty proud of every bloke that's come into the jersey. Um, you know, Nick tonight did a wonderful job off the bench and um, one thing I do know at the moment, there's a lot of depth in our squad. Um, then they're, they're not there just to make up the numbers, they're, they're there on merit and they're really challenging for those spots. So certain positions are challenging at the moment, obviously second row is one of them. Um, we've lost a few outside backs but we're pretty blessed in the outside be- uh, back area. Um, the second row could be interesting. So. Um, I won't say I'm stressed about it at all. I'm, I'm next man up. Let's roll. Big game. You really seem to get a better view in that collision battle. Just how important is it to rectify that for next week in Sydney? Yeah, it's huge. Um, uh, you know, you can probably get away with it at Super Rugby, but in test matches, you need to win the contact area. It's as simple as that. Um, set pieces pretty much on par with that as well. So for us to win next week, you know, Clearly, that those are the areas that we need to work on. Do you think uh, the English forwards raised the bar, or were you a little bit less intense than last week? Uh, it's, a, it's a good question. Without going back and looking at it, I thought we started slow, um, and that probably gave England a bit of momentum, especially in that first half. You know, we we're on the wrong side of the penalty count, so <laughs> it's like. Any game of rugby, it's it's pretty hard when you're always going backwards, and they're going forward. Um, you got to give the English credit; they really stood up. I, I thought they were, you know, just hungry. Um, so, what that does do is set up a pretty big game in Sydney next weekend. At the same time, you should be quite happy to see that the first time you go in there, 22 was scored, uh, and every time you you went into their uh, their half. Scored, I won't say easily, but reasonably easily uh, in the second half. Yeah, well, no, I don't know what the stats are, but territory-wise, I don't think it was pretty good. Um, and you know, we're a team that's pretty confident when we get in the right end of the field, we can score points. But I think the struggle for us tonight was we always played in our own half, um, and credit where credit's due, England, you know, put uh, made us do that. So. Um, for us, going into the next game, that's another area that we'd like to to have a look at. Um, yeah, but there's um, yeah, we're we're confident that we can score points. It's about making sure we play at the right end of the field. SCG. Um, I, I actually don't think I played Test much there. So played there with the um, in Super Rugby a fair bit. But it's uh, it's a stadium that has a lot of history, and um, to be to, to walk out there and represent Australia is pretty special. So, um, and yeah, not that I wanted it to be a decider, it ends up being a, a decider. So there's going to be a lot of a lot on the line next week, and what a spot to do it at. Um, gee, World Cup final. <laughs> oh, of course. Um, 
oh, I think what's important is getting your own stuff right. Um, and it's it's not a matter of doing more than what you need to do either. It's just about getting that balance right of, um, you know, working out where we need to improve in our last performance and then making sure that we don't do it again, one, and then get better as well on top of that. So um, I'd, I'd assume the start of the game would be a focus for us. Yeah. That's that's probably the most disappointing bit thing about tonight was how we started the game and that contact collision area that everyone's talking about. Um, yeah, we're we're in a position to win that game. You know, with ten minutes to go, and um, you know by playing at the wrong end of the field, not really having much ball, not winning the kicking game, set piece under pressure. I thought that was pretty good of us being able to scrape scrape through and and be in a position to win the game. But you know, obviously two games in a row now we've lost the jump and uh, just like our set piece, I I'd, I'd assume there'd be a bit of contact this week at training. Softly speaking, I reckon. Safely speaking. Anything else, guys? Uh, do you expect this week to be more focusing on your own uh, things that you need to fix up? Oh, yeah. No, no, I think it'd be all um, internal. I think most of everything that happened tonight was down to how we um, performed. You know, not, taking nothing away from England, I thought they played really well and they played better than us easily. But I think we, um, we definitely let, let them play well. I'm not sure how serious Nev's injury is to be honest. Um, didn't really think of that. Um, but again, um, we'll find out later in the week. But whatever happens, happens. And again, if you get an opportunity, it's good fun. Um, like I said before, we play the game of rugby because we love it. Um, to get out there, to run around um, at a decided test would be awesome as well. Um, just to get out there, be front foot footy, be a good ball. Have you been to the SCG sitting in a crowd at an NRL game or anything like that? Or uh, a no, I'm a Sydney boy actually, but no, I've never watched a game there. We've played um, a bit of super rugby. I think we've played once or maybe twice there over the past few years. Um, it's a pretty interesting and obviously historic ground to play at. Um, a lot of history there. and. So it'd be great. It's a decider like Slip said. Um, so yeah, it'd be pretty good. Big crowd, um, a lot of history in the game, and it'd be good fun. And Nicky, you look forward to getting to Sydney to play in front of your friends and family? Um, if you get the opportunity, yeah, 100%. Um, it'd be great. Um, see friends and family. Um, if you get a run out, it'd be awesome. If you get a pay. So yeah, to be There's honest. no one else, mate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. We'll see. No, honestly, it'd be good fun. Um, again. Yeah, looking forward to it.